Good morning. Thank you all for being here. And if you're a visitor, we're especially glad to have you and hope you'll stick around after services. Share a meal with us and get us an opportunity to know you a little better. I appreciate the prayers offered on my behalf today, and we really appreciate all of the help the song service is to us as speakers. And uh, I've done this for a long time. I can assure you it's much better to take this podium after a nice song service than it is with one that falls flat. It really makes a difference. So thank you. Uh, you know, we, uh, we all remember that night in the upper room when Jesus and his disciples shared the Passover meal together. And we remember what happened there as Jesus sends Judas out. Uh, he dismisses him to go do what he's going to do. That's found in John 13 and 27. And then I think we kind of just go from that to the Garden of Gethsemane. Because that's kind of the way we think about the events of that night. But if you look at it, you're going to notice that after Judas is dismissed, our Lord takes the opportunity to deliver the last instructions, directions, admonitions, whatever, to his disciples before he's going to go to the cross. This begins in the 31st verse of John 13 and continues all the way through the 17th chapter in the 26th verse. Now, don't worry, we're not going to cover all of that today. We'd be here till tonight sometime then. I don't know if we'd get it covered, but at any rate, we're going to look at a small portion of what Jesus had to say that night to his disciples. We're going to study a little bit of what Christ has instructed them and through his word instructed us to do. So let's look at John 14 and verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Pretty straightforward statement. You will notice if you have spent some time in the scriptures, this is not a new statement from Christ. He has made this statement over and over again. In fact, in this small few verses we're going to read about today, he's going to make it several more times. Why did he feel the necessity to keep talking about that. If you love me, keep my commandments. Everybody here loves the Lord. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. Men and women have professed their love for our Lord and Savior for 2,000 years. Prior to that, they professed their love for God. We love God. We love Jesus. We love what they have done for us, and what they have done to help us. So why, do, why does Jesus keep repeating this? 
I would submit to you that he knows, just as we have experienced ourselves, that man struggles with that. Loving the Lord? No. Keeping his commandments? Yes. And as a result of that, we make a lot of different excuses. I mean, obviously, if we're not doing what the Lord told us to do, we're sinners. And none of us are perfect. We're all sinners. But do we sometimes find ourselves choosing to disobey God's command? You know, I think that oftentimes we fall back on, and perhaps you've heard it, maybe you've used this statement yourself. I love the Lord in my heart. My heart's really what's important. And God knows my heart. He knows I love it. Let's think about that just a minute. Sunday night, Zoel talked about David and his sin with Bathsheba. Did David love the heart with all, love the God, love God with all his heart? I'll get it out here in a minute. Well, certainly he did. We read in Matthew thirteen and twenty-two, David was a man after God's own heart. Yet. He fell into a great sin that resulted in murder and the death of the child he and Bathsheba conceived. But he loved the Lord. His heart was right. But the sin overtook him. Does that happen sometimes to us? Do we hang our head on that deal of, I love the Lord, and that's what's important. So the fact that I'm not doing this, or I'm doing that, is really insignificant. Because what's important, what's in my heart. That's what's important. And so we don't do the commands of God. When we reject the commands of God... Can we justify that by saying, what's in my heart is what's important? Is that enough? Let's look at Hebrews 4 and 12. For the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. <clears throat> so what are, we, what are we seeing here? We're seeing that God knows what our heart's intent is. He knows whether those things that we're doing, and I'm not talking about adultery and murder and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about the little things that interfere with our service to God on a more regular basis. Happens all the time. You know, life happens. And we find ourselves not able to be in the assembly of the church sometimes. What are we finding out here? Sometimes that happens because if we're sick, we don't need to be here because we don't want to infect anybody else. 
Sometimes our job may require us to work instead of assembling with the saints to worship God. Those things happen. Other things come up in life that cause us to miss worshiping God at a time that the church is called together. Because make no mistake, brother, that's what we're doing. When we establish a time and a place to assemble together, it's not to come up here and just shake hands and be happy and visit with each other. Yes, all of those things happen. All of those things are of great benefit to each of us. But the purpose for that assembly is to worship God. If you're justifying in your heart not doing that, because after all, your heart's the most important thing, God knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. He knows whether that is justified or not. Remember that. What about our service to God's kingdom? You know, we all have the opportunity to be God's servants. That happens to us all the time. Lots of times it happens when we least expect it. One of the things that I try to tell everybody, and those of you that are involved in doing the work of the church know this, when the opportunity comes to serve God's family, to serve his kingdom, number one, it's not going to be convenient. It's going to take your time. It's going to cost you money. And it's going to be a sacrifice to you and or your family to do those things. So it becomes really easy to say, you know, I just really don't have the time. I, I'd like to do that, but uh, I've, got a, I've got previous commitment. You know, my favorite TV show's on tonight. We don't say that, but that's what the previous commitment is. Do you ever find yourself in that position where you're given the opportunity to serve God by serving his people and you don't do it? You justify that by saying, what's in my heart? That's what's important. God knows I love him. God knew David loved him. He said David was a man after his own heart. That didn't stop him from committing some very egregious sins. What about our giving? You ever given that any thought? I think a lot of times we as God's children, we take our blessings for granted. We're all blessed here. We all are blessed with the ability to work and earn a living for our families. We are blessed with the ability to provide not just for the necessities of life, but for the luxuries of life. Do we ever stop and think about that when we're deciding what to give back to support the work of the church and the kingdom of God? Or is it just kind of a routine thing? We don't give it any thought. We'll just drop a few bucks in the plate. We'll write out a check for whatever and put it behind us. 
put it out of our mind. It's not important. Because God knows I love him. He knows what's in my heart. You think that's acceptable? Is that okay? To do that? Is that right? What about all those Christian graces that we're told to grow in? Faith, hope, love, temperance, patience, long-suffering, goodness and godliness, brotherly kindness, joy, peace. How are we doing on those? You know, if you would take the time to get in God's Word and learn about those Christian graces and to grow in those areas that God has instructed us to grow in, your life, I don't care what level you're at as far as joy and exuberance of living for God, your life would grow. You would become happier. You would become more peaceful. You'd get along with your family a lot more. You'd get along with everybody better. Because to increase in the graces that God has blessed us with the ability to do will change your life. To do that, you've got to spend time in this Word. You've got to know what those are. You've got to know how to grow in those graces. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing what? The Word of God. You've got to spend time in the Word of God if those graces are going to grow in your life. It does not happen by accident. It's not something you just wake up one morning and you found that you've grown and whatever grace or application of the same that you need to make in your life. And you know what they are. You know where your shortcomings are. You know where your struggles are. Maybe I'm just a very pessimistic person. And so my heart is always turned to the negative. You know, I always assume the worst. You know, it's a mystery what's going to happen tomorrow, so I'm just going to assume it's going to be the worst thing that can happen. Anybody here like that? Anybody here think that it's going to be bad? And we're not even in tomorrow yet. What did God tell us? Don't worry about tomorrow. There's enough trouble today. He's already there. He knows what's coming. We don't need to concern ourselves. But yet we do because... The graces that God has asked us to grow in, we don't because we won't spend time in his word. This word is a self-healing direction from God. It will heal those things that trouble you. It's all here. All you got to do is access it. Just look for it. None of us are perfect. We all need to grow in all those Christian graces. Please take time to do that. If you're struggling in your life with relationships, with your attitude, with your service to God, with your attendance to his worship services, or whatever other things that are bothering you, the answer's right here. Don't hang your head on this idea that my heart's good, God knows my heart, he knows I love him, so I'm okay. That's not going to increase your joy. You don't spend time in the Word. That's not going to save you if you don't spend time learning what God wants you to do. That's not going to help you. What did Jesus say? 
keep my commandments? Is that what it was? So I'm going to help you do that. Let's look at verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. That comforter, of course, is the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, Jesus possessed the Holy Spirit without measure after his baptism in the River Jordan. He had it all. And what he's telling his disciples here is that the time is coming when he's going to send that Holy Spirit to them. And it's going to abide with them forever. You know, the day of Pentecost came, and we see that happen on that day. You know... Everybody here receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you obey the gospel, when you come up out of that water as a new creature, you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now that gift is salvation, but it's so much more. From that day forward, unless you choose to walk away or not spend any time in his word or be confused or deluded, that spirit is going to be in you. It's going to dwell in you. Think about that for a minute. We're talking about the spirit of God. The Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. They're all one. That spirit is what has now come to you when you obey the gospel. And it will be there for the rest of your life as long as you do your part. Thank God for all those blessings. Let's look at verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Spirit of truth. What does that mean? That means that Holy Spirit that's going to dwell in you, that's dwelling in you now, will let you know what's going on in your heart unless you harden it. And if you continually reject doing the commands of God, you don't have to worry about hardening it. God said he'll harden it. And then you're lost forever. Don't let that happen. That spirit is going to dwell in you And it's going to be with you from now on. Verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. Jesus could have just as well said, I will not leave you fatherless. Jesus is coming to you. He said that to his disciples here in the upper room. He said that to us. When we come up out of that watery grave of baptism... The Holy Ghost moves upon us, and it comes to us. It's up to us, then, what we're going to do with it. Verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live. Ye shall live also. 
Now that's kind of confusing, but Jesus answers this in chapter 16 and verse 19 and the next few verses after that. We're not going to cover that this morning, but he knows that he is going to come back after he dies on the cross, that he's going to be risen He's going to raise up out of that grave in three days, and he's going to appear to these disciples. He's told them all that, but they don't really understand. They don't understand that he's actually going to live just as much as he lives that night sitting there talking to them. And they're going to live too. And guess what, brethren? You and I are going to live. Yes. That Holy Spirit that's going to come to us is going to give us eternal life so that we live forever. The world's not going to see it. They may see us and say we're different. I hope they see us and say we're different. They may laugh at us. They may mock us, ridicule us. It's nothing compared to what happened to the early Christians. And I pray that that doesn't come to this country, but it certainly happens in other nations around the world because the world will never see the Lord except as they see it reflected through our lives unless they too become a child of God. Verse 20. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Kind of sums it all up, doesn't it? When that happens, now Jesus is talking about the day of Pentecost. For us, he's talking about the day we rise up after we're baptized, and our sins are washed away. Now... Jesus is in his Father, and we're in him, and he is in us. Think about that for a minute. Just reflect on it. God dwells within you. God dwells in you. He dwells in me. Do we live like it? If you really come to grips with that understanding, all those things we talked about where we're struggling, those are going to be done away with. We're not going to struggle with those anymore because, you see, God knows the thoughts and intents of our heart, and we don't have to worry about it because we're going to do what Jesus commanded us to do. Verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Here we go. What's he saying again? Same thing, isn't it? If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself unto him. You know, one of the things that... Christians do, we like to improve on things, don't we? We think we can make things better. 
we'll take what God has told us to do, and we'll do it. We just want to improve on it a little bit. You know, there was a man a long time ago named Saul, first king of Israel, chosen by God, anointed by Samuel. Saul was instructed to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. You remember the story. He took his army and he, in his mind, did just that. Utterly destroyed them. Supposed to kill everything that breathes. Men, women, children, goats, dogs, donkeys, sheep, whatever's in their land that breathes, destroy it. That was what God had said was going to happen to them for the way they treated his people as Moses brought them out of the wilderness. So Saul did that. In his mind, he did that. But when Samuel got on the scene afterwards, he found that there were sheep and oxen. There were all kinds of animals there. The king was there. He asked Saul about it. Saul said, I've done what I, what I was told to do. They're all dead. The only ones we brought back were the very best. And why did we bring them back? We want a sacrifice to God and a big celebration and worship to God for our great victory. And everybody's going to enjoy it. And everybody's going to know what God has done for us. Everybody's going to rejoice. You remember what Samuel told him? In the 15th chapter, 22nd verse. To obey is better than sacrifice. Now, sacrificing is how they worship God back in that day. That transgression cost Saul his throne and would ultimately cost him and his family their lives because Saul decided that he could improve on God's plan. He would bring back the best of whatever there was and sacrifice it to God in a big worship service where they're all gathered around praising God for their victory. Do we ever do things like that? Do we decide that we have a better idea about how to worship God? You know, God's told us exactly what to do. But yet, sometimes we decide we've got a better idea and we can improve on God's plan. Just give us a chance. How do you think God's going to look at that? When you get to the end of your days, do you think God is going to pat you on the back for the improvements you made to his service? You can say, a boy, wish I'd have thought of that. You know, if I'd have thought of it, I'd have put it in the book. But I didn't. You had to think of it. You think that's going to be his attitude? You think that's what he's going to say? I don't think so, brother. And the fact that you love the Lord and you reject his commandments... I think you're walking on very thin ice.
We can't judge anybody, not going to. God only can judge his people. But don't be deluded by these thoughts of grandeur that we can improve on God's plan. There's nothing we can do to improve on God's plan. If we love him, we're going to keep his commandments. Verse 22. Jesus said unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself to us and not unto the world? Well, that's a pretty good question, isn't it? Jesus answers that in verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. The world's never going to love the Lord. The world's never going to keep his commandments. Oh, they may say we love the Lord, but they're not going to keep his commandments. How many times has Jesus said this now in this, just this few verses that we've gone over? Three, four? And this is just a small smattering of the times he's brought this subject up. If you love me, you'll keep my words. And if you will do that... God will love you. Think about that. God, the creator of the universe, the creator of everything there is, the creator of you and your household, he'll love you if you'll do that. And we will come unto you. Who's the we? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're going to come to you. They're going to come to me. If we keep the words of God. And we're going to make our abode with you. He's talking about God is going to make his abode with us. Do you understand that? There's no need for us to add anything. To take away anything. To do anything to improve on God's plan. All we got to do is just do what he's asked us to do. To live our lives as he's asked us to. Verse 24. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, which the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's that sent me. Here it is again. You think it might be pretty important to do what God asks us to do? Is that thought finally getting these are his disciples men who walked with him for three years saw the miracles saw all the things Jesus did and he's reinforcing this statement over and over and over again to them because our Lord knows the heart of man and it's not always Aligned with God's instruction and his commandments. How important is obedience? We've just been talking about that now for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it is. How important is obedience? How important is it to you 
to do what God said to do. You personally, I'm talking about us as a body of Christians, you personally, how important is it to you to do what God asks you to do? Brother, if you hadn't figured it out, it's probably the most important thing you can do with your life after obeying the gospel. That's the thing God expects of you. That's what he wants of you. That's what he spent so much time reinforcing to his disciples. Obey the words of God. Verse 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But of course we know that Jesus is going to go to the cross after he finishes this discourse with instructions and admonitions to his disciples. They're going to see him again because he's going to be risen the third day and come back and talk to them and spend the time with them. And we all know the story. And then he's going to go into heaven. And these same disciples that Jesus has nurtured and taught and brought through the previous three years of his ministry are going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And they're going to write down all of these things that God intends for you and I to know. And you know, everything that's written down is what? All scripture is given for what? It's all profitable for instruction, Reproof, admonition, correction. Yeah, that's what scripture's for. It's to set us back on the right path when we get off the path. It's to remind us that those things that we're doing that are not in accordance with the word of God need to be changed. Don't let that happen to you. When you find the Word of God is instructing you about something that you're not doing, or maybe it's something you are doing that you don't find any justification for, don't reject that Word. Let it come to you, and let it dwell in you, and make the corrections in your life. That's what the Word's doing. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides asunder the bone and the marrow. And it determines the thoughts and intents of the heart. Because no matter how much we fool ourselves or those around us, we're not going to fool God. He knows what's going on in our mind and in our hearts. And we can profess our love to him all we want. But if we're not going to do what he said, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to all of us? You know, this word will instruct us in righteousness. And all these things are coming from 2 Timothy 3 and 16. I'm sure most of you know that already, but 
instruction in righteousness. That's what the Word of God does for us. Not only will it correct us, it will instruct us. And every word written down in this book is profitable. Verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Holy Ghost is alive and well, brethren. I pray it dwells in you and that you are not closing your heart because if you are open, that Holy Ghost will do what? Teach you all things. Bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. How does Jesus communicate with us today? Right here. The Word of God. You spend time in this Word, and you're going to find out what you should do. You spend time in this Word, and it's going to improve your life because you're going to grow in all the graces God expects His people to grow in. You're going to experience joy and peace that maybe you've never experienced before. All you've got to do is become acquainted with the Word of God and let it dwell in your heart. Let the Holy Spirit do its work in you. Don't reject it. Don't shut it off. Feed and nourish your soul with the Word of God. This concludes my remarks for this morning. I've not really talked about first principles, but if you have been sufficiently taught and have decided that you want to be baptized for the remission of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, to have the Holy Ghost dwell in your life. The water's here and it's ready. Or maybe you think you really need the prayers of the church. Because God's told us that the prayers of the righteous will avail much. And maybe you think that's what you need because you're really struggling. There'll be one of either class. We invite you to come as we stand and sing. There's a fountain free. Tis for you and me.